Hey everybody, this is Gene the Werewolf, and you are listening to Iron City Rocks. Hi, this is Graham Bonnet, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. What's up, it's Andy Fish and Blackville Bride, and you are listening to Iron City Rocks. Welcome to episode 90 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John. The Iron City Rocks podcast is a podcast devoted to promoting Pittsburgh's rock, heavy metal, and blues music scene, and this time around, football. You just heard Gene the Werewolf, Pittsburgh's own, doing a song called The Steelers Polka, updated now for 2010-2011 season. Uh, as you certainly are aware at this point, the Steelers are headed to the Super Bowl. So if you're listening to this podcast anywhere but in the state of Wisconsin, we're sure you're pulling for the Steelers. So what we're going to do, we're going to get you ready for the Super Bowl, uh, Iron City Rock style. We've got an interview coming up with an author of a new cookbook called Mosh Potatoes. His name's Steve Seabury. The concept of this cookbook is simple. 
150 recipes from some of the biggest names in heavy metal, including Lemmy, Zach Wilde, uh, guys from Anthrax, you name it. So we're going to get into an interview with Steve, uh, and then we've got an interview coming up following that with legendary vocalist Graham Bonnet of the bands that have included Rainbow, Michael Schenker Group, Impelitary, and also Alcatraz. So we're going to go into the interview with Steve. We're going to play a little bit of music and then get you into the interview with Graham Bonnet. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome to the party Steve Seabury, the author of Mosh Potatoes. How are you doing, Steve? Doing good. Yourself? Couldn't be better. We're on the way to the Super Bowl, man. And uh, as I understand, you're a big Steelers fan, even though you don't live in the vicinity so we wanted to get you on, talk about your book, and also maybe some suggestions of what we could make for the big game. So you want to tell us a little bit about how the, the, the idea came about for Mosh Potatoes? Well, the, 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 the true story, which is, uh, I guess not the PC version, but I was off home. I, I worked in the music industry, and I was, I was coming home from a concert one night, you know, actually stumbling home. And, um, I, you know, at 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, you, you when you're night night of good drinking, you get the munchies and Taco Bell and White Castle was too far to walk for me. So when I got to the apartment, I opened up the refrigerator and um, being a bachelor at the time, there wasn't wasn't a great selection of food in the, in the fridge, you know. So um, I, I laughed about it. and I said, I wonder what Lenny would do, you know, with some Taco Bell sauce and some eggs and some whatever other stuff was in there. And I, I chuckled and I passed out and. Um, I woke up the next morning, hung over, and um, I said, yeah, I wonder what Lemmy would have done that, you know, what he would have done and, you know, what he does do in that situation. And the idea of the cookbook came out, you know, I, I actually emailed his manager and um, see if he had a recipe, you know, and, you know, it just kind of grew from there. I started emailing other bands and bands I was working with, and everyone loved the idea, and next thing you know, I had over 300 recipes in my inbox. Excellent. I was going to ask you, I mean, as, as a person, you know, with what I do, I, I tend to reach out to a lot, a lot of musicians, and it's always, uh, you've got to go through different layers of management of publicists and things like that. How much how much of the headache of doing this book was getting to the actual artist? Um, it was a very big pain in the balls. <laughs> it was, uh, and, you know, because some of the bands, you know, you had to go to the manager of the record company first, and then... You know, like some of the, the bands were like, oh, we want to see what, you know, who do you have involved so far? And um, mm-hmm. it, it took a lot, a lot of follow-up. And then, um, you know, then when I got the recipes from them, you know, some of the bands didn't have the exact quantities of, you know, you know, how many eggs do you need in this or how many cups of sugar, you know, and stuff. So then you had to follow back up with something with that. And then, um, so it, it, was, it, it was a very long process of, you know, for the final completion of the book. And and how many recipes did you end up with all told in the book in this edition? Um, I think there's 147 recipes in this book. Okay, and you've got uh, you know I'm just kind of looking at the uh, table of contents here. You've got uh, Anthrax and Kiss and Motorhead and you know members of Dawkins and Dream Theater and things like that. So you really covered sort of all genres of metal. The one one thing that kind of stood out to me when I got the book, because I'm expecting a lot of relatively crude recipes involving spam and things like that, is just, you know, I, I was actually pleasantly surprised how, I don't know what the word is, I don't want to say like highfalutin, but some of these recipes have a lot more ingredients, and I'm like, wow, you know, these are somewhat sophisticated recipes. Did that kind of shock you? 
Um, it's it, it did and it didn't because you know working with a lot of these bands, um, we always spoke about music, food, and sports, and mm-hmm. you know you know living in New York City, a lot of the bands would always want to go to these you know. You know, oh, I gotta try this pizza place that I heard it was the best in the world, or go here or go there, or I want Korean food, or I want this food. And a lot of the bands traveling all over the world on tour, they've really got to experience, you know, uh, a, a totally different culinary viewpoint than myself has, you know. And um, so, you know, I, when I ask these bands for recipes, you know, I ask them for their favorites, and a lot of these recipes are their favorites with their spin on. The, the culinary experience they had traveling the world and stuff. So some of them I was a little bit surprised with, but others, you know, I I learned a lot from them, you know, and I, I thought it was very cool. Yeah, the the one thing, did, did you get a sense from um, how many of these, were, you know, and what you just said about them traveling and experiencing different foods is cool, and then some of the recipes look like they might have been kind of the family handed down recipe. Did you get a sense for how many of those were sort of uh, family secrets? Yeah, you know the, the Charlie Benente recipe. That's his um, his mom's um, you know stuffing recipe that they make every year for Thanksgiving. Um, the Zach Wild recipe is his um, grandmother's recipe. Um, you know the spaghetti meatballs. You know, so he you know he told me it was you know handed down from generation to generation. So mm-hmm. there's, there's some um, really cool you know Dave Allison and Megadeth. You know his. The cookie recipe that he said he said he makes every year for Christmas when he has all his family, his mom, his cousins, you know, and all that stuff over for the family meal. So it's a, it's a you know the one thing that's great about this book. There's a lot of like it gives a fan a different perspective on their favorite rock star, and it kind of gives you like a sneak peek into their you know their kitchen window to see what they like to cook and what they like to make and, and the stories behind these recipes. So I, I thought that was a pretty cool pretty cool concept of the book. Yeah, it really was, and I, I was amazed. Like I said, it's it just the number of like vegetarian and, and, and vegan and, and just different nationalities of food, which really, really impressive. If I'm not mistaken, uh, one of them called for some crushed. Uh, was it Vicodin in uh, Overkill's recipe? I think I caught. <laughs> there wasn't quite as many pharmaceuticals in the recipes as I thought. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, I I, uh, I could see that from uh, from Overkill. Um, with with the recipe from Lemmy, have you actually personally tried to make that? Because I'm I'm afraid um, of it. Anything on fire involving refried beans kind of scares me. Yeah, I I probably made about ninety percent of the recipes in the book, and um, Lemmy's is one that I have not made. <laughs> I'm scared of it too. I'm I'm like terrified. Yeah, I have to admit, I, I started out with. Um, this is going to sound kind of like geeky, but I started out with one of the bands uh, that I'm a big fan of, Dream Theater, and I started with John Petrucci's Meatloaf, and I was like, is this really calling for this many eggs? You know, because when I make Meatloaf, I'm using about a third of that many eggs, and then you're putting olive oil in on top of it, but I have to tip my hat. It was delicious. You know, so I'm, I'm one for one in the, in the the family life that even, even my mother-in-law complimented it, so we very did good, well. Very good, very good. So, can you tell us where we can get this book? Um, you can go to Borders, Barnes & Noble, um, Urban Outfitters, um, Amazon.com has it, you know, anywhere anywhere books are sold, you, you should be able to get it. Okay. Yeah, I know for a fact Amazon was like 10 bucks or something like that. And do you have a website as well? Yeah, it's, it's moshpotatoscookbook.com. Okay. 
And the million-dollar question, is there a recipe you would specifically recommend for the Super Bowl since our Steelers are going to be uh, winning that game? The Steelers are going to crush the Packers. And probably one of my favorite football recipes in the book is the Nashville Pussy Chicken Wings. I, I make them all the time. <laughs> and um, it's a great recipe. It's, it's got the homemade um, sauce for it. And um, who doesn't love ice-cold beer? You know, chicken wings during a football game. Sounds good to me. That would would be my pick. Cool. And um, do you foresee maybe a second edition? You said you got about 300 recipes for this. Do you see taking this uh, to a volume two? You know, I I think I'm going to because the reaction has been so positive. And, you know, it's just one of these ideas I came up with. And, you know, I followed through on it. I just like, well, I think it's a great idea. I wonder if anybody else does. And, but the reaction's been very positive and very cool, and all the fans are digging it. So, um, yeah, I'm already starting to collect new recipes, and I'm um, going to put some of the older recipes that didn't make this book in it. And, um, yeah, look for volume two, um, hopefully, um, at the end of this year. Excellent. And this book, um, if I'm not mistaken, some of the proceeds go to charity. Is that correct? If that is correct, I wanted to um, be the metalhead, and I, I wanted to... Um, yeah, I think it's very important to give back, especially for something like this. And, um, yeah, I need the proceeds to the Meals on Wheels charity. Oh, okay. Great. And, again, the uh, website, and you can get this on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, I know, had even a couple uh, copies in stock in the store. So, Steve, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on the show and talk about the book, man. Well, thanks very much, Go Steelers, and um, thank you for supporting out, my friend.
All right, with great pleasure, I welcome to the show Graham Bonnet of Alcatraz. How are you doing today, Graham? I'm doing okay. How about you? Doing wonderful. Uh, we're here. Uh, we're about a, the entire country apart. You're out on the the West Coast. We're here in snowy Pittsburgh right now. Um, wanted oh, to, yeah. to to catch up with you. You're um, got Alcatraz uh, back in motion, so we wanted to kind of catch up and, and uh, find out what's going on with Alcatraz, and also if we could talk a little bit about a remarkable body of work you've you've accomplished over the years. You kind of got your start, um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but sort of outside of of traditional hard rock. You were with a band called the Marbles. Now, was that mm-hmm. how would you classify the sound of the Marbles? Well, back then we were working with the um, with the Bee Gees. In fact, mm-hmm. it was very given. Uh, in fact, I just been in touch with very give again today uh, and yesterday. I saw a documentary on TV about it, and it just brought back a lot of memories. But sure. uh, my cousin used to be with uh, my cousin when he lived in Australia. Was the lead guitar player with, with them? Mm-hmm. They made a lot of records together, and basically, uh, Barry and uh, Mar- Morrison. Robin wrote a tune for my cousin and I, which we recorded back in 1968. It was kind of like an R&B pop song. And uh, that's basically where I started. If if it wasn't for them, I don't think I would have a career at all. But um, it was one of those things where I came from a small town. We played in London a couple of times with my band. And it just happened that uh, the Bee Gees' ex manager was in the audience and uh, got uh, my cousin back in touch with his old friends. And uh, I got, you know, to meet the guys and we kind of, I'm coming a long story short, <laughs> we made, oh, we made okay. a record, you know, so yeah, basically my, my background was kind of R&B pop, um, nothing to do with, you know, hard rock, heavy metal mm-hmm. as it was called and whatever, you know. Yeah. I mean, you so certainly, an, an <laughs> you learned certainly at the, the feet of the masters there with the Bee Gees. I mean, you can't get, um, you know, from a musical standpoint, much better than that. Yeah. That's excellent. Oh. Now, now you did a, a few um, uh, albums under the, the name Grand Bonnet then before getting together with Richie Blackmore. Can you tell us a little bit about how the Rainbow Project kind of came to be or how you became involved in Rainbow? Well, that, that was, um, they were looking for a singer. and This is uh, 1979 or 1980, whatever it was. And um, they auditioned. Apparently, about 80 singers in uh, they were making the album, which I eventually became part of, um, in uh, Switzerland on the border of Switzerland and France, and uh, they're out in this chateau, and they <laughs> had like 80 singers that uh, uh, auditioned in this place, and um, w- one night they were all bored and sitting around playing spot the tune kind of thing, you know, who's singing this, who's playing this, blah blah blah, and they had happened to have the thing I've just been talking about, the, the song that I recorded with, with the Bee Gees, the Bee Gees the, you know, wrote the song for my cousin and I, and um, they said, who is this, and uh, Cozy, Cozy was playing the game with uh, uh, Richie, and he said, I don't know, he said, but what happened to that guy, you know, who sang that song, and mm-hmm. uh, I just happened to be working Working with uh, um, Mickey Moody, who is um, was in White Snake at one point. Yeah, you know, and he was managed by my uh, uh, ex manager from from the sixties, which is kind of it's all kind of weird, but we yeah. all kind of got back together again. Yeah, so my old manager from the sixties got in touch with me when I used to, you know, as I said, he was my personal manager when I was in 
the marbles, and he just happened to be working with Mickey Moody. Mickey Moody was working with Roger Glover, blah, 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 and there was all this kind of hookup between Rainbow, Mickey Moody, me, the marbles, etc., etc. And so they said, well, what's this guy doing now? And Mickey said, well, I'm working with him on a solo album. And uh, so, anyways, uh, they got in touch um, with... Uh, Roger, Roger Glover, who, who called me up and said, would you mind coming over and auditioning for the band, for, for the band Rainbow? And I didn't know who the hell Rainbow was. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. So I had to go out. My manager actually went out and bought me some albums so I could play them and listen to the music, you know, et cetera, et cetera, to, to get the deal. And I said, well, hey, th- this isn't what, I don't do this. This is not the way I sing. This is not the kind of music I do. I'm more poppy. You know, I'm into like, Rotis Redding thing and mm-hmm. Stevie Wonder songs and things like that. The heavy metal, whatever you want to call it, it was back then, um, was not my thing. But um, my manager said to me, you know, you've got to do this. And uh, he said, you go over there and audition. So I, I learned one song, which was a song called Mistreated, and that mm-hmm. was my um, audition piece. And went over there uh, to the place where they were recording. I did the song um, and I, I didn't do it on microphone because I was very kind of nervous about doing it. So I, I sang without the microphone while the band played it. And, the, and they heard me. Yeah. <laughs> because they said, oh, God, your voice is loud. I said, well, oh, well, I, I just didn't want to mess up. I, I'm not saying on the microphone because I don't want to mess the song up. And they said, well, we heard you plenty good. You know, that, that was great. And uh, Don Airy, um, the keyboard player, said to me, okay, let's do it again on mic. And then so we did it on microphone. And then we did it again and again. And they said, okay, you're in. Do you want the job? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so so I went, back, I went back to London. And uh, again, I spoke to my manager. I said, I don't think I'm right. These guys have all got the long hair and the, the thing, you know. Yeah. The... Spandex or whatever the hell. And I uh, said, so it's not me. You know, I'm walking around with my 1950s suit on the, you know, on the, uh, you know, the, the hair comb back. And I, I'm nothing like those guys. But but I, I liked the music. But it just didn't seem like I was right for it because I didn't sing like Ronnie Dio, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But um, he said, no, no, no. He said, you're right for this. But anyways, eventually yeah, I did get into the studio with Roger Glover when we started to record it in the uh, chateau where I auditioned with them. Mm-hmm. And then eventually we moved to um, to Long Island to a place called Syosic where we actually did a lot of tracks and then to Electric Ladyland in New York uh, for a couple of things and, you know, recorded things properly. But it took a long, long time to write the tunes because I had no clue about how to write a um, you know, hard rock, hard rock metal. song, yeah, 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 because that was not my thing, and most of my songs were written by other people for me anyway, you know, yeah. So it, it was kind of a bit of a challenge, and Roger Glover said, "Can you help me out?" I said, well, I don't know what to do. What do I do? And <laughs> so it's basically me and Roger, kind of like going la la la, you know, lowering things in the studio and saying, "Is that, is that all right?" And Roger would give me a rough idea of a melody, and then Roger would write the words. Yeah. And then I would kind of, you know, kind of bend the melody around to the way it fit my voice, you know. And it took a while. It took a long time. We were in there for months. But, you know, it was a lot of hard work, you know, long, very, very long days because we kept changing the songs. Every song was done like four different ways, you know. Yeah. So we had four different versions of one song, you know. Yeah. And uh, then Rich would, Richie would come in later and listen to what we put down and say, I like that one best. You know, so, it's, so it took a while, but um, sure. I eventually 
found out that um, what I had gotten myself into was something that was very, very enjoyable. I didn't realize that I could do this kind of thing because it wasn't, I never tried for one reason. Yeah. And it was something that was new fashion, all these classical influences, kind of, it was like amazing what, how good these guys were, what, what great players they were, Cozy and Don and, you know, Richie and Roger. I mean, mm-hmm. just to me, it was uh, enough. You know, oh God, how can I, I compete with these great players, you know? Uh, yeah. But anyway, it all worked out in the end, kind of, you know. Yeah, certainly. And I, as I, yeah, I said to, I wrote a little piece of, um, you know, tribute to Ronnie, you know, uh, for, for Wendy. Um, a while back, and uh, I just said it, it was Ronnie. That I, I listened to how he did things, you know, and he, he gave me the, you know, kind of the map to follow, how to sing heavy rock, baby, you know, or whatever. And he had, because he's one of the original, well, you know, he was the original vocalist, etc. And I kind of listened to what he did, and then kind of adapted it to my own style of singing. But you know, I, I learned a lot from the way he sang things, how to, you know. Uh, the you know, kind of afraid. Yeah, the afraid. Yeah, all that kind of thing. Yeah, because it, um, it was new. Yeah, yeah. certainly. I mean, what a lot of people probably don't think about that when you think, well, okay, you stepped into the shadows of Dio, but you stepped into the shadows of Dio from a completely different style of music, and, and that, that's remarkable. Now, you you um, had another solo album after that, and then um, off to work with Michael Schenker. Um, for what is, I think, a really a standout in the Michael Schenker group with Assault Attack. How did how did you come to work with Michael? Again, it was um, a pure fluke. It just, it just happened that Cozy Powell, who was, of course, with Rainbow, happened to be in the band with uh, Michael uh, playing drums. And um, I went to see them play at uh, the Country Club in Los Angeles. Um, Cozy invited me down. He said, "You'd like to come? Would you like to come and see the band here?" He said, oh, "What the hell? What are you doing?" Oh, I'm with the Michael Shanker group. I said, "Oh, okay." Uh, so I'd never seen them before. Again, this is like I've never seen them. I didn't know what the hell they were all about. And went down to the country club, saw them play, and I said, "Oh my god!" I said after the show, I said, "That that was fantastic." I said, "I just love the music." And Michael's a great guitar player and, and very very different from. Uh, Richie Blackmore, mm-hmm. for instance, you know, and uh, and from a lot of people, you know. Uh, so uh, Cozy and I was, was standing watching this other band after the thing on, on the balcony, watching this other band playing, and Cozy was uh, standing next to me as we were watching this band. He said, uh, well, what do you think about the band? I said, well, it's pretty cool. It's great. I said, you've done a, you made a good move, you know, by doing this. And he said, well, would you like to be in the band? I said, well, yeah, it'd be great. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, was, I thought it was a joke. Yeah, he said, well, well, he said, well, Gary's going, your singer, you know, Gary Barton. Yeah. He said, he's leaving. Um, I, I don't know why he left or whatever happened there. I have no idea. But he, he wanted to do something else, maybe. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what, why he wasn't in the band anymore. But he said, we, we want you to sing with us. Said, oh, oh. And so that was that. And then I went back to Los Angeles, and then I had some tapes come in the mail as for cassette tapes. Yeah. Those days. Remember cassette tape? Yeah, oh, I, I still and have on, quite a few, the, actually. The, yeah, me too, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and uh, on the box it said, um, to Graham, urgent, and there were like three tracks there of all this, um, you know, uh, of arrangements, of guitar arrangements and drums and blah, blah, blah. You know, the band arrangements. And I had to write the melodies. And so, because Michael didn't, 
he didn't know how to write down English lyrics very well, and nobody else in the band knew how to write lyrics. And so it was really Michael, the Michael Schenker group, that really got me together writing melodies and, and uh, getting used to the, the way you put those kind of tunes together, the format of you know the hard rock tunes as opposed to what I've been doing before. And I knew where to come in with vocals and where to you know get out, you know, because it, I'd learned from Rainbow all the different kinds of um, the way the arrangements would go. You know, mm-hmm. for one for one one thing, this songs are like ten thousand years longer than most songs I've ever sung. Yeah. You know, instead of being three minutes, they're like eleven. Yeah. And so you know, I knew where to get in and get out with a vocal line. So um, oh, my other phone's ringing. Uh, never mind. Uh, so um, I don't think there's anything important. Uh, but um, it, oh, it's my daughter calling me. Uh, you want to you want to get that? Go uh, ahead. If you need to get it. <laughs> Oh, she's, she's, yeah, she's just saying hello. It's all right. I'll get her, I'll call her back in a while. Okay. So anyway, as uh, I was saying, I was, I was doing this and, um, yeah, so it was really, uh, I had to suddenly become a songwriter. And as I said, the Michael Shanker experience, um, was, uh, how I got into actually writing lyrics and writing those kind of melodies as opposed to being R&B or pop, you know? Yeah. I mean, as someone who's tried to do that as well, that's not an easy task. I mean, it's, you know, you have a guitar riff and then to think, how am I going to get not only words, but not just words, it's a melody. So you're almost writing the equivalent piece of music, but then you've got to kind of correspond with what Michael's playing. Now you, um, after Michael Schenker, you teamed up with, with Ingve. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about how, I mean, that's kind of, kind of your baby, how Alcatraz came to be? Oh. Yeah, well, it was, um, I, I met this guy called Andy Truman, who became our manager later. He'd uh, managed, uh, Jethro Tull and, um, the Bay City Rollers, which is a very, uh, very odd, uh, kind of a combination of, uh, different kinds of music there. But he was introduced to me by a friend of mine, and he said, well, what are you going to do now? You know, you've. Ju- I had a bad experience with the Michael Shanker band because I screwed up terribly on a show. I, well, which probably everybody's heard about. Anyway, it was a bad, a very bad night, a very drunken night with the Michael Shanker band, and I was fired, which uh, I deserved. <laughs> which <laughs> I'm sure people know about that anyway. But, sure. um, so he got in touch. He said, "What are you going to do?" And I said, "I, I don't know." He said, well, "What about putting a band together? Um, you know, like." Um, like a rainbow kind of a thing. And I thought, oh, yeah, okay, so we need a keyboard player, blah, blah, blah. You know, the same lineup, you know, the same kind of a bunch of, guy, uh, mm-hmm. bunch of players. It was guitar, bass, drums, you know, the same format uh, uh, as the uh, rainbow was. You know, so that, that band was set up. And uh, so, uh, well, we, we started looking through magazines to see if there were any bass player, guitar players, you know, available to put a band together with me. So I, I did some, like, interviews on radio and sort of was, like, asking for people to come and join my band. I want to, you know, I want to form a new band, blah, 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 blah. And um, we found two guys from a band called New England, which was Jimmy Waldo, keyboard player, and, and Gary Shade, the bass player. Mm-hmm. And they'd had a hit, um, and the band had split up. And uh, my manager said, well, that's, this is the way we've got to go. We've got to go with people who are kind of well-known, which would be a good idea to put the band together. Then you've got a, a bit of a bonus thing going there, you know. So if you've got some well-known players, now we need to look for – these guys that had a, a, a you know, uh, they had a song called a Don't Ever Want to Lose You, I think it was called, and it um, did pretty well in the States, certain parts. And, 
And um, so I said, well, I, I don't know this song. You know, he said, but, well, look, 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 let's start here and, you know, let's see what happens next. So then we started auditioning guitar players. Paul McCartney's guitar player from Wings, uh, Lawrence Juber. Um, we had, oh, God, Ainsley Dunbar came over to uh, drums. Um, oh, I, I mean, like, lots of people. Mm. And because some of the guys wanted like a, sh- a shitload of money that we couldn't afford, right. um, we, uh, well, we didn't know where it was going, all going to go, you know. Um, and uh, I remember Ainsley Dunbar wanted money for rehearsals and whatever else, you know. And we hadn't gotten any material at this point. So I, I used to rehearse with the, the two players I did have from New England in my garage. And, and we're going, well, well, what do we do now? We don't have any guitar player, blah, blah, blah. Um, so... We found Ingve just by accident through a um, a guy that was working in a store, and he, he said, "I uh, heard you're looking for a guitar player." He's talking to my bass player, I think. <clears throat> he said, uh, "I know this guy who has a band here. It's called Steeler, and <clears throat> um, he's um, just what you're looking for, I think. He, he plays like Richard Blackmore, looks a bit like him, blah blah blah, that kind of thing." Mm-hmm. And uh, so we got in touch with him, and Ingve came along to the rehearsal. And he couldn't believe it. He thought it was some kind of joke. And he was, he like, freaked out when he met us and everything. And then we had to find a drummer, you know. So uh, what, uh, somebody knew um, of um, uh, somebody, somebody in Alice Cooper or something. Anyway, um, somebody got in touch with one of the drummers from Alice Cooper band, Jan Uvina, and we got hold of him. And then he came in. So we had all these people that were in kind of like name bands, but Ingve was kind of like the unknown quantity and eventually became the quantity. Oh. <laughs> he became like the star of the band, you know, in the end, you know. Yeah, well, it, was, it was all all over the place. Yeah, I mean, that, that was, it was kind of interesting when you look at your career. You, you went from doing R&B to playing with three of, of kind of the quintessential guitar players of the era, and you weren't yeah. done there. I mean... And I think a lot of people don't realize this once Ingve left to do the Rising Force into his shoe steps Steve Vai, um, mm. which, you know, um, was, I believe, a very brief uh, period of time. But you guys did Disturbing the Peace yeah. with him. Um, and then, you know, you did one more album with Alcatraz. Um, and then uh, came the album that really kind of put you on my radar was when you collaborated with Chris and Pelletieri. Uh, and speaking of cassettes, I remember someone bringing in Stand in Line and saying, you've got to hear this. And, oh, yeah. And, and embarrassed to say, that was the first time I heard Since You've Been Gone. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, the new version. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It yeah. was like. Re-recorded. Yeah. yeah uh, now, I mean, that was that was a, a record that um, I still listen to to this day. I mean, it was a phenomenal oh, right. record. Yeah. And. Oh, um right. And you've been you've you've done a little bit more with Chris over the years, um, and have done uh, quite a few solo records. But um, mm. you're actually you've got Alcatraz back together. Do you want to talk a little bit about what uh, what the band has now and what are the plans for the future? Yeah, well, yeah, well, I saw new guys now. You know, there's, uh, we we had a, a, a it was a two guitar playing band at one point a, a while back. Uh, John Thomas was. Uh, our second guitar player, Howie Simon is the, the, the first guitar player, but John used to play keyboards and guitar at the same time kind of thing, uh, because we're doing a lot of, obviously, a lot of my old stuff, including Impelitary stuff and uh, Rainbow and Michael Schenker and whatever else, because we just want to go out and play, basically, to make a living, you know, like everybody else. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
Um, but John went back to school. He left the band, so now we, we have there's just me, Howie Simon, Tim Loose playing bass, and our, we've had two drummers, uh, Jeff Bowden. This was our last drummer we had, who w- went on the road with um, Paul Gilbert. Okay. Uh, main. That's what. Yeah, that was his like his gig. So we knew he wasn't going to stay. And then before that, we had um, um, uh, Glenn Sobel, who is another well, you know, pretty you know young new drummer kind. You know, the new school drummers of, uh, that are around now. You know, who are very very technically good and fantastic. I mean, I love both those guys. And when we're gigging uh, soon, it's going to be Glenn is coming back in again. But we we have to find a permanent a permanent drummer because Glenn is doing this kind of like just for the, the work. Mm-hmm. But the permanent members so far are just like me, Tim, and Howie, Tim Lewis, Howie, Simon, and me. You know, but mm-hmm. we've had we've had a lot of drummers, but they the way things are now, nobody stays in one band anymore. Well, everybody's in about 12 bands, you know, and it's just different. It's not like the Beatles days, <laughs> sure. you know, and, and the Stones, you know, where everybody's is friends as well as anything else. Now it's just business and trying to stay alive, you know. It's, yeah. So so now it's, as I said, it, it's, it's, I have some, um, I, I have uh, some ideas about what may happen with Alcatraz. There may be a, a couple of new members, uh, probably two new members, join the band which will be which I'm just talking about right now with another guitar player and um, uh, Howie Simon is actually searching for a drummer we may have one um, but I'm not sure yet so I can't really say mm-hmm. but I've been talking to another guitar player who it would be like blow everybody away because they know who, who this person is I'm not going to say right now but, it, but they know who it is and um, it's uh, it's something I have to talk to Howie about, and I haven't done yet. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> because he he doesn't know, and I don't know if it's going to work with bringing another person into Alcatraz, another let's say another um, lead guitarist, because it'd be, it'd be like two lead guitarists as opposed to one. You know, one guy sure. playing the rhythm, one playing lead. Uh, you know, but it's um, that's what John Thomas did with with uh, Howie. He was lead as well as you know they played great together. He was a, a great loss to, to have him go. But this person I'm talking about is somebody that uh, people within the music business know very well. And um, but it's just a matter of um, finalizing it, and it'll be a completely new look to the band whether it be called Alcatraz or something else uh, but at the moment it's Alcatraz yes because okay. we're playing sure, yeah. Alcatraz but as I said this is something I'm talking to this person about and the drummer is like we're not quite sure if we have this other guy uh, it's all very like <laughs> but I, I want this this time with this other guitar player um, I think there will be a, a big interest in uh, oh well this will be different you know I think it'll be a lo- it'll turn a lot of heads I think oh great something completely something completely different as Monty Python would say <laughs> you know um, so you know I'm, I, I don't I don't want to say who either of these people are right now because I haven't spoken to Howie about the guitar player yet or anything because no, I, I certainly understand I, you know it's, it's one of those things where I've got to ease ease this other person in sure <laughs> otherwise I don't want him to go Oh, well, you want me to go? You know, because I don't want to lose Howie because he's great. I think these two people together would be amazing. Howie Simon and this other person uh, together as um, like two, you know, featured guitar players as well as, you know, 
being able to trade off each other on stage and have some fun, you know. Yeah. I think it'll be amazing. But mm. as I said, it's something that is maybe going to happen, and it may not. Well, we'll keep <laughs> it depends if I can get everything in there. Yeah, I've got to get everything sorted out first, make sure everything fits perfectly, and nobody's going to get egos hurt or whatever. Sure, I completely understand. Uh, just one other question. Um, you had done a couple shows last year with Joe Lynn Turner, um, The Voices of Rainbow. Has there been any talk of, of maybe doing any of those stateside? No, well, I mean, this is something that Joe is out there. He's, I don't know how many bands Joe Lynn Turner is in, but he's in about 22, I think. Sure. But he, he goes out, he's doing the same thing. He's doing the Rainbow Tunes, uh, but he's going under the, the uh, different names of different bands. Uh, I, I don't see us doing that again. The last time we did was in Japan about uh, two, three months ago. We did um, all of us, Doogie White, him and me, and Alcatraz. And um, so we did the Alcatraz thing, and then the Voices of Rainbow as well, kind of all in one show. And I got very sick on the last show, and I was absolutely terrible. I got bronchitis. Oh, jeez. Always happens to me when I go to Japan. I don't know why. But I, I got very sick on the very last show, and I was diabolical. I don't mind saying. <laughs> I was awful. I could, I could hardly breathe, you know. Yeah, it's got to be but hard to sing, yeah. Man, it was awful. I had to apologize to the guys in the band. I didn't say anything to the audience because I was hoping they wouldn't notice. Yeah. <laughs> and I just said to the guys in the band, I'm like, God, I'm sorry, man. There's just something wrong with me. I don't know what it is. Uh, I, I just I can't breathe. I can't, and the notes weren't coming out. It was like, you know, croaking, horrible. And I couldn't breathe. And I thought I, I was having an asthma attack or something. But So I used my inhaler. But then when I got home, I was sick for like three three weeks with, you know, severe bronchitis, and I didn't realize what was wrong with me, you know, and that's what it was. So the last show, which was unfortunately the biggest show in Tokyo, you know, the biggest uh, theater and everything, and it was, I, I was very average, let me say that, you know, I wasn't very good at all. Yeah. But um, we're going to do this again, I don't know, we've spoken to Doogie about it, Doogie wanted to do it, and he was going to get back to us about it, back to Howie Simon, and uh, Howie emailed me the other day to say, I've heard nothing from Doogie, have you? I said, no, no, nothing at all. Mm-hmm. So whether we'll do that again, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I was looking. You could conceivably get a couple other guys and do this, the voices of Ingve even, and, and maybe do something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, yeah. just kind of... There's a lot of parallels there between Rainbow and Ingve. Well, Graham, Graham, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day, and uh, we look forward. You've got a show coming up on January 20th out in Ventura, California. Yeah, yeah. At the, the yeah, Ventura really, Theater. Uh, yeah, and, and, Uli Roth. Yeah, Uli John Roth. And for those um, or maybe my age or younger uh, that may not be familiar with Uli, uh, certainly worth checking out uh, his back catalog, a phenomenal guitar player who yeah. I think kind of flies under a lot of people's radars. Well, he was, um, that was uh, one of Ingve's influences. Ingve was mm-hmm. a, a big fan of Uli, always has been. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, great, great player. But, Graham, oh, I yeah. want to thank you for taking the time out of your afternoon to uh, talk hey, to us no out problem. there. All right, no there problem. you have legendary vocalist Graham Bonnet. I want to thank Graham so much for taking the time, and also Steve Seabury of the author of the book Mosh Potatoes for coming on the show, getting us ready to eat some good stuff for the Super Bowl. Again, I want to thank also all of you for uh, tuning in and listening. You can find more information on us at ironcityrocks.com or facebook.com forward slash ironcityrocks, twitter.com forward slash ironcityrocks. And also want to uh, mention we have a couple contests going on uh, that you can enter. We have a 
contest uh, for those of you who always screw up Valentine's Day, which uh, what guy out there hasn't? We're giving away a pair of tickets to see Clay Aiken, which uh, I know may not be up many of your alleys, but wouldn't it be a nice uh, way to get a cheap Valentine's date? So that's uh, February 18th. You can go to ironcityrocks.com, click on the contest link, get yourself a free pair of tickets uh, to see that. Also, we are giving away a pair of tickets to see Guar on February 19th at uh, Facebook. And uh, if you go there, you'll see uh, there's a link there to enter to win a pair of tickets to that. Iron City Rocks will be presenting that show, not preventing, presenting that show at Mr. Small's. And also Iron City Rocks is going to be presenting in association with Drusky Entertainment. The Bullet Boys will be returning to Pittsburgh to play the Hard Rock Cafe on April 1st. So I want to invite you to check out those shows as well. Uh, We invite you to tune in to our next episode. We're going to be featuring an interview with Paul Allender of Cradle of Filth. So if you're a uh, fan of that band and you're going to be planning on checking them out when they play uh, Club Zoo Later on this spring, we invite you to check out that show. We'll also be giving you details at that time how to enter to win a pair of tickets to see Cradle of Filth. And also, we have an interview we'll be featuring with Martin Anderson of the band Lizzie Borden. I also played with George Lynch. We're going to be featuring both of those interviews in our next episode. So if you're a fan of the metal, uh, I know the last few episodes haven't been quite as metal as maybe you're used to. So we're going to give you a heavy dose here uh, coming up in the next episode with Cradle of Filth and... Uh, Uh, Martin Anderson of Lizzie Borden. So thank you again for taking the time to listen to the show this week, and we'll talk to you next time.